0: Welcome to the Cosmic Savannah with Dr. Jacinta Delhays and Dr. Tiamiso Maguela. Each episode, we'll be giving you a behind-the-scenes look at world-class astronomy and astrophysics happening under African skies.
1: Let us introduce you to the people involved, the technology we use, the exciting work we do and the fascinating discoveries we make.
0: Sit back and relax as we take you on a safari through the skies.
1: Welcome to today's episode, Jacinta. Hi, Timiso. Hi, listeners. (laughs) And in today's episode, we will be visiting UCT, so the University of Cape Town's Visualization Lab.
0: Yeah, we're going to be talking to Dr. Lucia Machetti and Dr. Alex Civitilli about data visualization. And this is part two of a two-part series on ring galaxies. The latest discoveries from the Wallaby Survey. Yeah, so from an Australian telescope called ASCAP, it's a radio telescope. It detects hydrogen gas in, in space, in galaxies. And in the last episode, we talked to Dr. Nathan Degg about how he used this data, this information, to find something called a polar ring galaxy which is a galaxy that has a ring around it Mm. as the name suggests and a ring of hydrogen gas.
1: Yeah and I think this is going to be an exciting episode because
0: we get into how do we actually see this ring? Yeah, exactly. Because you get some data from a telescope and then you have to try and interpret it. And that is much harder than it sounds. You can get a picture, you can get a 2D picture, but then 2D only tells you so much. And so we have to find a different way to visualize.
1: Yeah, sure. And I think this is when we get to... What do we mean when we
0: visualize data? Exactly. Well, first of all, what do we mean when we say data?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I want to say... Data is stuff. Stuff? <laughs> Just yep. like stuff, a yep. lot of stuff. But it's it's much more sophisticated when I say it's information. It's
0: information.
1: Because we are getting something out of it. We are mm. getting informed about something. We are learning about something from the data that we get. So when we speak about data, and in astronomy, data means information that we are getting from the technology that we have. So the Meerkat, the SKA, the ASCAP, the data that we get from there is information telling us about things that are happening in space.
0: Yeah, and when we're we're in astronomy, we mean a lot of different things by data. So sometimes we mean images, sometimes we mean spectra, and that means kind of how much light there is at each frequency Mm. sometimes we mean different information about one particular galaxy so like how many stars does it have and what's its mass and how much gas does it have and how bright is it and like all of these different kind of properties of something you can think of it as like making a massive massive excel spreadsheet a massive one of like everything in the sky (laughs) (laughs) like again it's stuff It's stuff, yeah. It's It's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's any kind of information we can get about anything that's not on the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but then, and now we're starting to hear the term big data. So what is big data? Oh, this is my favorite part. So, again, so at, at
1: the moment we've spoken about data being stuff and a lot of stuff, but when we speak about big data, then we are really speaking about a lot of information coming through. So if you could think about 10 to 15 years ago when we first had cell phones, Justin, so what was your first cell phone?
0: I'm going to date myself here. I was about 15 and I had, oh, do you know what? I said before it was a Nokia, it was an Alcatel. So our listeners are probably not going to remember what an Alcatel was, but it was this tiny little like, blue phone and this was even before flip phones and it was yeah it was, I see it actually yeah it was the height of cool though you have to you just believe it yeah so like if you think about
1: that phone back in the day you would receive sms's I mm-hmm. think sms's were a thing they were a
0: thing whatsapp was not a thing
1: yeah, yeah. but maybe after 20 sms's then your phone would tell you to yeah. delete yeah. stuff <laughs> so you can receive more that's right yeah and I think if we think about big data think about it in that sense that you are constantly receiving a lot more information and you need obviously something bigger, so a bigger phone with more memory to actually receive that data. And that's something that we have here and creating here in preparation for the SKA with IDEA, right? So we are creating this massive place where we could store all this information that we'll be getting from the telescope. So that is big data because the data is not just... Small chunk of data. It is a lot of data. So a lot of SMSs coming through all at once. Yeah. So if you think about it, per minute you're receiving a thousand and thousands of
0: of SMSs. Yeah, if I, I, could mean, call it that. I mean millions. I mean we're we're talking yeah. about many, 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 many terabytes of data. Yeah like so much data and that's why we call it big, <laughs> big data it's, it's like a massive understatement <laughs> yeah um okay so that's what big data is and you mentioned idea i-d-i-a what's that so that's an acronym for something
1: for something <laughs> that i think i will give it to the experts who we have today yeah chia and alex to yep. talk more about but this is a unit that is Equipped rather in our country to deal with the big data that we will be receiving and are already receiving from YearCat.
0: Yes, yeah, it's an institute really, and it kind of stores data, it processes data, it visualizes data, and kind of all of the above. So, like today's episode is about visualization of big data. So, we've talked about data, we've talked about big data. Now, what is visualization? What does that
1: mean? So we've spoken about the amount of information that we are getting, which is data, right? Um, And in this data that we are getting, we normally try to see what this information is telling us. So sometimes we plot it in graphs and then we get information, the graphs that are being plotted. So through the plots of the light curves, for example, which are telling us something about the image or the galaxy that we are looking at. And then when we go a step further, where we create an image of that plot where we try to see what is happening in this galaxy that we are looking at we could see there are probably some few outliers that are telling us something that we do not understand so we need another mode to actually see what these things are so we get into this immersive environment so we are plotting this into vr so trying to see actually in 3d so we are moving from just seeing it in a graph in a plot seeing it as a picture and now seeing it as a dynamic image that we can move around and see in different parts. And so in that we are visualizing the data because now we are putting ourselves within the data to try and move it around and see it in different ways. Mm -hmm. So seeing the other side, so the behind
0: picture that we don't see necessarily in 2D. Yeah, a different perspective. And as we know, if you look at something from a different perspective, you can see something completely different. Exactly. And and that's that's the beauty of having something like the Viz Lab, mm. because
1: we can get to explore the other side of things that we never see. Yeah. So we try to move this data around, to move our images around so that we can see what else is in there and we can study that
0: yeah and we can get different ideas on what's going on in the galaxy that we're looking at or in the patch of the sky that we're looking at or whatever it might be so you mentioned now the vizlab. lab so at the university of cape town mm-hmm. in the astronomy department in the corridor that we are on on the on the top floor if you walk down the corridor there's many doors, um, <laughs> A <lot> of
2: doors.
0: <laughs> one of them has big bars on it because behind it is some fancy equipment and if you open that door, it reveals the Idea Viz Lab. Yeah. And I think
1: as soon as you walk in there, it does feel like you're not necessarily at UCT for a moment there. Yeah. It's just like, it's a different world. It's a different reality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> see what I did there? I can it's see a, a virtual reality. A virtual yeah. reality. <laughs> you're
1: literally stepping into a new world um, once you walk in there and... For a person like me who's been in the Viz Lab for a couple of times. Just one or two. <laughs> no, actually, like I was there when it was opening, when the first inauguration, before mm. the 4K oh, screens, cool. um, we were there. But for the first time today, I actually saw the copra being the snake. I, I could see the <laughs> snake and I've I've never seen the snake before. I've seen the, the copra. But I do not see it as a cobra, like the snake, you know. So okay. for the first time, I saw that today.
0: Our listeners have no idea what you're talking about. But <laughs> <laughs> why don't we hear from Lucia and Alex, and then they'll describe the vizlab to us and tell us all about it. We'll hear about cobra, the Cape cobra, and then we'll come back to that after. Yeah, sure.
1: Okay. It is not
0: a snake, people, but yeah, it, but <laughs> it is though. <laughs> all right, uh, let's hear from Lucia and Alex. <sighs> We're back here at UCT, the University of Cape Town, in the Idea Viz Lab, and with me is Tia. Hi, everyone.
1: Oh, Tia, how's your voice? It's not that great today, but I am here showing up. Oh, do you have a sore throat? Yes, I do have a sore throat, but it's not kicking me down or anything like that.
0: What a trooper. And we're here with Dr. Lucia Machetti and almost Dr. Alex Civitilli. Thank you. Hi, everyone.
3: Hi there, welcome.
0: Can you just firstly tell our listeners uh, who you are?
2: Oh yeah, sure. Hi everyone, I'm Lucia and I'm Italian, as you can tell from my name. I'm a senior lecturer in the astronomy department at UCT, but I'm also the project scientist in the idea visualization lab.
3: Uh, Yeah, so I'm Alex. I'm a postdoc at IDEA and UCT astronomy. I also did my PhD here at at UCT where I did most of my work with astronomy education research and I'll be continuing my work here but more on the data visualization side.
0: Cool and you have recently submitted your PhD thesis and your graduation is pending so almost doctor.
3: Yes exactly.
0: Congratulations it's a massive effort.
3: Yeah yeah. it's a bumpy road but uh, it's good to kind of wind that down and, and finish things off now.
0: So you worked on astronomy education, and we've just had our previous episode was with CME, so on astronomy education. So did you guys work closely together?
1: We did. We are supervised by the same supervisor, and we are also in the same research group. So we are like the start of astronomy education research at the
0: University of Cape Town. Oh, you guys are the originals.
3: Uh, yes, and uh, a lot of learning that we both had to undertake to entering the field and, and helping each other out. It's, it's, it's quite a task when you're dealing with over 100 students and handing out questionnaires and arranging trips to the planetarium. So it's, uh, yeah, we've learned a lot together and it's been quite an enriching experience.
0: And Lucia, you are a lecturer and a member of faculty here at UCT, along with myself, and we are long-suffering,
2: and we've just gotten through exams, and we're very exhausted. Oh, yeah, 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 I actually have to do the, all the marking now, which is fun, fun part. Me too, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. But anyway, on to today's topic. So we're sitting here in the IDEA vis Lab. What is IDEA and what is a Viz Lab?
2: Okay, IDEA has a very long name, so bear with me. Is the Inter University Institute for Data Intensive Astronomy, and as the name says, is an institute that uh, work with data intensive astronomy. So try to build a community in South Africa in partnership with uh, the University of the Western Cape and the University of Pretoria, and of course the University of Cape Town, and building this community on how to handle big data uh, in astronomy, but also in bioinformatics. Cool. Anything to add there, Alex?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I had to explain to me when I first came to IDEA as, as kind of this idea, heh, no pun intended there, but where astronomy is entering the era of big data, just like many other sciences, whether it's g- decoding the genome, environmental sciences, seeing weather patterns, and then basically kind of taking the latest and greatest with big data processing and computer science and, and bringing that together with the latest and greatest in astronomy, especially with radio astronomy that we're dealing with in South Africa, where once the SKA, the square kilometer array goes live, we're gonna to have to be ready for the vast amounts of data coming in on a daily basis. And so it's a good time to start now with kind of scaled down versions of that. So we're not caught off guard when, when the thing is actually uh, running around the clock basically.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's gonna be so much data.
1: So you've just told us about bad idea, but now we said we are sitting in the Viz lab. Can you just tell us a
2: little bit more about what it is? Sure. So, well, it's a small room in the astronomy department, but as I like to say, it's a small room with a big heart. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of cool facilities here. We have big screens for immersing ourselves in the data. We have what we call the Cobra or the Cape Cobra, which provides you a semi-immersive experience into your data and that we use to prepare our data set that we bring to the eco-planetarium in town and then we have other you know facilities like uh, a screen for video conferences and then of course our gold mine, the VR desktop.
0: VR meaning? Virtual reality. <laughs> <laughs> okay so there's a lot of different things in here and there's also these massive high resolution screens behind you. So Alex could you just describe for our listeners because of course they can't see this what it looks like in here and, and what they're for?
3: I uh, yeah, I mean if if you look around the the visualization lab it's kind of a little story because you can you can see as the different stages that equipment was added uh, to our space here and the first you'll you'll see on the far wall there uh, that's Wally so Wally. yeah so so so, so 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 we really like the the acronyms here just like anyone else in astronomy so yeah Wally that's the wide area large interactive explorer you can see me looking over my shoulder at the label there cuz sometimes I need a cheat sheet Introducing this, this device into the lab was kind of a very obvious thing to start with for us. You, you find in astronomy, a lot of the times, it's a very collaborative science. So when you when you have results, you like to present that to other people, whether it's a student to the supervisor, whether it's among colleagues. And so having a, a big space where you can sit around a big screen is a lot easier for, for a researcher than sitting around a small laptop. However, the traditional way of doing that with a projector uh, usually you lose a lot of the resolution, so the image is not as, as, as detailed and crisp. And so we basically put together four 4K monitors to create one giant 8K monitor. So that's been really useful, especially with the IDEA's in-house Carta software, which is is, is just a two-dimensional data analysis tool and visualization tool, and it, it works remotely most of the time where you can access data on a server. And so this is, it's been really nice to have astronomers come in here and be able to just go to an internet browser and pull up Carta. And then they can, like I said before, kind of show results that they've, they found and kind of have discussions on where they want to take their, their work.
0: So it's four massive high resolution screens. Yeah, they're really
1: big, but they're also so beautiful.
0: I think that's a picture on, on them from JWST, right? From the Webb Telescope of the, some nebula.
2: Orion nebula?
0: Oh, yeah, that's what I meant, the Orion nebula. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm sure you meant that. <laughs> yeah, I meant
0: that, I meant that. Okay, so that's very dramatic in the corner. And then over on the other side, we have what Siamiso has just realized looks like a cobra and is actually called cobra.
1: Yeah, I've always known that it was called the cobra, but actually for the first time today, after I've been in this lab for many times i actually see the snake <laughs> <laughs> you did part of your research in here surely mm, mm, i mean we've spent a lot of times <laughs> in this room but for the first time from where i'm sitting i can actually see the snake
0: brilliant so maybe alex or luci can describe it to us uh,
3: yeah so uh, the cobra what we call the cape cobra was kind of taking the idea of a planetarium where you have an immersive display that goes around the users. Uh, and even though the Cobra is not fully immersive, it's not a full dome, it is a wraparound display. Later you can look underneath and it works primarily off of a projector hitting a, a spherical mirror and that's them projecting onto the big screen. The problem usually that you face with that though is you can plug your computer into a projector and, and just see if it works on the Cobra, but you need to have some sort of warping software that then makes your, your desktop look normal. Because otherwise it would just be kind of like this, this, this giant odd kind of what they call um fisheye view of what you want to be looking at. So the idea of the Cobra though was is, is kind of taking the kind of the idea of Wally and and saying, okay, if you have these big displays, what happens if you then surround the user with the display? So kind of creating that immersive setting. And this kind of goes down the spirit of the VizLab lab, uh, kind of a, a lot of tinkering that happens in here. So we don't know really what benefits these visualization solutions, which we call them, what they will have. It only comes from introducing them into the, the research space, which is here at UCT Astronomy and with IDEA, inviting astronomers in and basically asking the question, like, how do you think you can use this? and then encouraging people to, to enter the space when they can, try to make the spaces available as possible, and then also take requests from people to say, okay, how do you think a wraparound display, for example, would benefit your research? And a big part of the COBRA as well was giving us a semi-planetarium environment, because even though... As Lucia mentioned, the, the lab is quite small, but the planetarium down in Cape Town, the eco-planetarium forms a very major part of the visualization lab. It just doesn't fit inside. <laughs> um, yeah, so with the, the planetarium, like I said, is also forms a major part of our work. In 2017, the planetarium in Cape Town was actually upgraded to a digital system. So the planetarium, as people, a lot of people have heard about the planetarium, it goes actually back 100 years, the facility itself. But usually planetariums are the, the old technology that just shows stars on a, on a dome above people's heads. But with modern optics and computing technology, you can, we're in an era where you can actually render anything you want with such tech, basically. And so the question that comes up a lot of the time is, okay, we have these old facilities. Can we not upgrade them to show modern visualizations? And that, very similar to the Cobra, the, the planetarium downtown now has the ability to show such renderings. Basically, anything that a computer can show, that could be, a, and that could be like a, something from a PC game. That could be a, a movie. That can be data, for example, in our case. And so the question came up, can we display data on the planetarium dome? And so, yeah, that was upgraded and then very expensive software was installed on it. And just as I mentioned earlier, a very important part of the space is the tinkering element. And we found that astronomers, we want to encourage them to use the planetarium to see what kind of benefit the space has. Unfortunately, it's, it's off campus. It's if you get caught in the morning or in the late afternoon. it's uh, <laughs> Yes, the major traffic, exactly. <laughs> And so, yes, you could maybe get someone to visit for and, and give a bit of feedback, but you'll never see them again. But that's a really important part of our work is the follow-up element. You need people to, to say, okay, this was useful, this was not. Can we focus on that useful part and actually see, okay, what about that is useful? And so the COBRA was kind of a good alternate to that, of having a, kind of a semi-planetarium dome in the lab. It has the same software that astronomers can actually put together, like. Um, shows and put in their data and, and create what they call assets that they can bring that down to the planetarium when they go live i'd like to say and so already you can kind of see this this pattern of, of what we do in here where you have the looking at these technologies latest and greatest in visualization and asking rather what benefits could that have for an astronomer and th- this was actually very useful for my own work my PhD work in astronomy education research, where we found, okay, what does that mean for a technology to be useful for an astronomer? And I would say actually coming from education research, it's actually something that basically lessens as much as possible the cognitive load that the medium you're using causing on the user. So in the case of visualization technology, you can have an immersive display, for example, but is that making the job of the astronomer any easier? Is it making them see things that they wouldn't see otherwise? And that's a very important question to ask because-
0: I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna go over to the screen, into the cobra now, cause I haven't done this before. So I'm gonna stand inside it, inside the mouth of the cobra. Although everyone disagrees with me that it's the mouth. They think it's the, the neck or the wings or something. It's the head. Okay. All right. Ooh, (laughs) this is cool. And I am willing to bet. Ooh, the sound in here is really weird. I don't know if you can hear that on the microphone. But I'm willing to bet that I'm now looking at a polar ring galaxy because I can see a cigar-shaped something and I can see a donut-shaped something. Yeah. Ooh, cool. Oh, are you taking a photo of me? See me, so. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I'm going to come and sit back down. And we can talk about this. So we have recently just spoken to Dr. Nathan Degg about his discovery of ring galaxies. And one of those in particular was really difficult to identify and only actually possible to do through these kind of three-dimensional methods of visualization, which I think, Alex, you were about to get to that when I rudely interrupted you, about the importance of visualization of data in astronomy. So maybe you would like to say a bit more about that?
2: So yeah, so data visualization in an immersive environment is one of the things of the experiment that IDEA is really fond of these days. As you can imagine, astronomy really is an immersive reality in the data because our data are really three-dimensional in nature. So when we confine them into a 2D image, sometimes we miss out of some of the information that we we would instead be able to visualize if we were in an immersive in space when we started the journey of building the this lab we were really trying to interrogate okay what is the best way to immerse ourselves in the data so the planetarium was one Uh, the cobra of course came next And then we started to say, okay, we wanted to actually immerse ourselves completely. And that then followed up with the idea of developing our own software for virtual reality rendering of our data. So we soon realized that there was nothing out there that could do that for our scope. And so, well, we decided to build our own, (laughs) 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 which now has a life and a name. So our software is called iDAV, which uh, stands for Immersive Data Visualization visualization interactive explorer (laughs) (laughs) and um, yeah big name like idea we like these big names (laughs) lots of acronyms um so you you're speaking about immersing yourself completely
1: in vr would you want to maybe tell us a little bit more about what vr is to our
2: listeners who've never experienced it Sure. Well, the the best way you can think about this is that using these big glasses, as we call, or the goggles, you basically immerse completely yourself into a different reality. You're basically transported into a virtual world and you are standing in whatever world we created around you. It can be a forest, it can be space, or it can be even uh, an abstract space like where data lies.
1: So you basically moving people from Earth
2: to the galaxies. How awesome is that? Oh, I like
0: that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you can do that comfortably by sitting on a chair, which is very convenient.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, so virtual reality has been around for uh, a few decades, actually, but it's only recently that virtual reality is coming out in what they call consumer headsets. So it's 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 cheaper headsets that are more mass market, mass produced, and so they're a lot more accessible for many different purposes and, and especially for our in this context for research purposes. And it offers many advantages as well uh, with the latest technology where the the tracking of your controllers, for example, and, and where your head movement is, it's a lot more precise than it was in the past. So number one, they don't get sick as easily as they did in the past, which is very important. Uh, but also they can interact in those three dimensions with the tools that they have in three dimensions, which is their, their hands and sometimes even bodies. And that provided a huge advantage over the other technologies I mentioned so far already, where you're, you're only interacting with the keyboard and mouse, which is tools that were invented a two-dimensional display. Even the Cobra, as much as we love it, it's still a keyboard and mouse setup. So you want to interact with three dimensions. You need to hold down this button, left shift or right control and, and, and scroll with the mouse wheel to, to move in, in that third dimension. And I mentioned cognitive load earlier, which we always have to consider in this lab. It's, it's not useful if it just causes more cognitive load for the user.
0: Wait, what's cognitive load?
3: So cognitive load basically so as humans, we have what they call working memory as is basically what you're able to deal with at once, right? So, I mean, it's whether you're cooking, you're driving, things like that. It's, it's all the tasks that you can handle in the moment. And as you get more skilled with things, you could take more complex tasks and basically occupy less of that working memory. And so uh, psychologists, especially education psychologists, they use the, the term called cognitive load to kind of measure that in a way. And basically, when you reduce the amount of cognitive load for tasks, they become more manageable. And in the context of research, that's really important, because when you make something like visualization uh, less cognitively demanding, so less of a cognitive load, that allows the researcher to free up that working memory For purposes like looking for patterns uh, for maybe for even having in a collaborative space to discuss certain things with each other and so less mental resources are put towards simple tasks like navigating around the data or or selecting points in the data and mental resources are put instead towards what's important is deciding on what sort of patterns are there comparing and contrasting different sets of data and also on the collaborative side of things yeah, being able to talk about data in the broader context. So what does this mean? Uh, what does this mean for not just the field? What does it mean for also uh, kind of what our plans are with with future work? So, yeah.
0: Okay, and then can we do it? Can we try the VR? Absolutely. I mean, you're here for that, isn't it? Yes, <laughs> I thought we'd never get there. Okay, cool. Um, so do you want to go first? Do you want to go into the VR world? I'll go first. Um
1: I'm excited to see what, what I'll be immersed into. I think that's the first
0: thing. Okay, so while
2: Alex maybe is setting
0: you up, I can explain. Yep,
2: so you guys go ahead and we'll, um, we'll listen to you in the, in the background. So right now, Siamizo is going to immerse herself with uh, uh, wearing our headset, which, uh, as Alex said, is just a commercial headset that you can buy even to play your game at home or do some gymnastic exercise, as I said, (laughs) sitting down, which is very convenient. And uh, so we are going to fire off our software, which allows us to load the data, which in this case are astronomical data. And since we heard recently about Nathan Polar Ring discovery, we are actually loading that for you today. Oh, cool. So we're going to go, be able to go in and see the Polar Ring in VR. Yes, absolutely. And, and also to see how we contributed to actually that discovery and to measuring that object, because this instrument was really fundamental for that discovery as well. Right. So tell us more about that. Oh, wow. OK. So, well, uh, as Siamisa will see, when she immerse herself in the data, she will see in front of her the data cube of the data that the telescope provided us. And um, as Nathan explained, you know, the data cube is a three-dimensional space where you can interrogate both the position of the object that you're looking at, but also how gas is moving inside the galaxy. And so by looking at this three-dimension um, cube, you can start to see the structure that describe the real motion in the galaxies. So it's, it's really important to have this benefited version of your visualisation.
0: All right. So Tsuyamisu is just getting set up. Now, Leo, what's going on? You can talk us through it as it happens.
3: As you can see here, we have, we have our virtual reality headset. So looking at it, I'll just describe it. So you have this, this little box on the front to, that will go in front of Tsuyamisu's eyes there. And there's actually two lenses that go between what's a little monitor and then... What those lenses do, they're really strong lenses that make the, the little monitors, uh, little LCD screens, look like they're very far away and big. And there's one for the right eye and there's one for the left eye. And what that does is allow the computer, which is connected by this cable, it allows the computer to render a scene that's a little bit slightly to the right and slightly to the left. And what that does when then uh, Tsimiso's eyes see that, it's going to give the illusion that she's looking at a three-dimensional space.
0: Right, so she's putting it on now. Just flips it over the head.
1: Over my braids. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you had to take your hair out.
3: Let me loosen this here. Oopsie. Oops.
0: It's falling down over her face. Nice. <laughs> Tightening Tighten it in. up.
3: Tighten it. How is it? That's
1: fine,
3: it's fine babe. That's... You might have to turn around though to see the, there we go. You see okay.
0: the Yeah, right. I see. Okay. Uh, the two end <laughs> stuff pointing in space okay you're currently
1: yeah, okay. pointing into the middle of nowhere to us, but I'm sure what do you
0: see so I do see okay
1: a stop box. moving your hands <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe this without using so see when you are in primary school and you're trying to draw a cube like you have one two three lines like a 3d cube so that's what I see a 3D cube that you can actually draw with your hands. And then inside that cube, there is, I think it's a galaxy. Is it two galaxies or one? Because I think I'd see two red things in between,
2: or red That exactly, the discovery space, you are actually facing it in front of you. So that is a one object, but as Nathan already described, you can see the cigar in the center and then that donut ring around it. So it's part of a single system, but it's possibly the, the results of something that has happened to that galaxy. So... Immediately in VR, as soon as you put on the headset, you can see the reality of the data as they are, which is actually something that I'm really pleased to hear from you because you immediately see why we are doing this type of development here.
0: All right, so immediate science by stepping into VR. Yeah,
2: and I can also see like, is it like the tails at the end of
1: this? Like there's like a little tail at the end there. I don't know if that is the tail
2: of that galaxy. So, so actually, this is a good point. So what you are experiencing now is the need to move the data because what you are now fooled by the projection, by how the, the data are presenting to you. You are feeling, you are perceiving the 3 Dness of the data, but you're not quite in the right angle now. So I think what you will need to do is to rotate the cube using the controller that now Alex will hand over to you. And by doing that, you will... See for yourself what that is. Okay.
3: Yeah, so I'm just going to describe really quickly for, for the listeners. So, so how the headset works, actually, there there's cameras on the headset and they look at the environment around us and they also have gyroscopes and accelerometers, just fancy words for th- basically things that tell you how a device is moving and that communicates with the computer, and then that basically says, okay, the headset is at this point in space, so the user should be seeing this, and then it sends back that image. And, and so I mentioned that because the controllers work off a similar system, which I'm going to hand to Tsiemisu now and she grabs them even though she's in the virtual space because she sees them floating in front yes, of her. And strange. so yeah. And so the headset actually sees where these controllers are as well and it tells the computer where they are and then sends back to Tsimiso images of, of these controllers.
0: And uh, we can actually see roughly what Tsimiso is seeing because there's a TV screen in front of us that is not in 3D, it's just in 2D. And we can roughly see the cube, the data cube that Tsimiso sees and we can see her controllers. And now what happens?
3: As mentioned earlier, with this visualization technology, we want to make things as intuitive as possible, so we reduce that cognitive load. So in the case of navigation, uh, we thought, okay, maybe if the users are able to grab space and move it around, that's actually very intuitive for them. So I'm going to show Tsimisu here. The button on the side of the controller, that's actually that gripping button. And you should this be... One? Yeah, uh, the one here, the, your okay. middle finger there. And so you can actually grab space and move it forward and backwards, just like you're doing now. And so that allows you basically to, to move that data closer to you. So, so you can do that a few times actually. So let go of the, of the button, reach forward, and then pull it. Yeah, there
0: we go. So now Tsimiso has learned how to use the controllers, but she is giving me a death stare with her, um, even though I can't see her eyes because she actually <laughs> already knows how to use this, she claims. <laughs> so um, what do you see now, Tia? Um, So right now I'm really
1: inside the polar ring galaxy and I can see the different colors. I mean, it's almost as if I can see the split up of colors throughout this galaxy. So I'd just like to know from Lucia to explain a little bit why is it that, you know, the centers are more red and as they go out, they get
2: orange, yellowish and then green. Haha, ha, very difficult question. <laughs> okay, so what you are seeing now is a color map that we attach to the data to describe them. And uh, right now, they, they don't mean a lot in sense of physical sense. They just show you that those uh, lobes that you identify as red with the reverse to the one that are more yellowish, they're just more bright in the galaxy. But then, is their position in the cube that tells us a different properties of that particular emission in the galaxy? So, according to their position in the third dimension, the z axis will tell us if it's moving in one direction or in the other direction. And this is just a translation that astronomy can do on the top of their head. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't. <laughs>
0: wait, wait, see, like the way the angle you've got it at now, I can see the ring. I couldn't see that before.
2: Yeah, because as, uh, as we said before, I mean, you are really able to move, either you move around the data <laughs> in this virtual space or you move the data around. And because you need to see the entirety of their 3Dness, as we said, you really need to move them to realize uh, the shape and, and how gas is distributed in this galaxy. So what she's doing now, rotating the cube, zooming in and zooming out, really gives her an, a novel perspective that is the unique perspective that enable us to actually isolate the cigar or the galaxy in the center and the ring around it. Cool. And we can really see
0: kind of the yeah the cigar with the donut at an angle, right? Yep, yeah, we can see that. So I'm just trying to keep the microphone um, away from Sia's hands because she can't see where it is. And she just keeps hitting it. So if you hear a bump, that's what it is. <laughs> I'm going to stand over this side. All right? I'm, on, I'm on your uh, left side.
1: Yeah, so I can actually see the cigar more clearly now and the ring more clearly than before. Because as I said before, I thought there was a tail, but actually... It isn't really a tail. It is just that ring going around the cigar thing. But I think this is really cool to actually be inside a galaxy.
2: I want to go. You can. (laughs) we are very democratic here you can try it on and spend as much time as you like actually the space in the lab is actually done for that purpose to allow the scientists to come in and do their own I was was about to say I like this angle a little bit can you see what I see on the screen
1: I love this angle a bit more than the one I had on the other side but this is also very cool (gasps) it looks like (laughs) Ghostbusters you know (laughs) what? (laughs) Ghostbusters, I don't know if you've seen that like yeah, I mean I know what Ghostbusters is But I don't get how it looks like that Don't you see the cigar thing it looks like the ghost And then that's like a halo, the ring And then the ghost going out like that
2: Siamizo, what you are trying to describe us is really good and we can kind of guess, but you know, we are looking at that through a 2D screen, which is actually the limitation that we just described mm-hmm. before. You really see a different reality with respect to what we see. So it's amazing to see it real, in real life, how it's happening. All right.
0: Well, I'm, I want to turn so I can see this Ghostbusters thing. <laughs> and so with this VR stuff, like it's really cool to do it in here and it's really useful for us here at UCT researchers to be able to come in here and look at our data and 3D whenever we want, but is this something that's going to be expanded or do you have to be here physically?
2: Yeah, sure, I can answer that. So basically, what we are developing here is a software that you can literally download it wherever you are and upload it to your system, so our laptop a reasonable powerful laptop but still affordable and you can basically visualize your data wherever you are then and then the next step really what we are trying to push it is to actually stream the data from a cloud so you don't even need a laptop but you only need an asset at that stage but we are getting there it's a long road to go
0: well that's cool so where was this polaring thing observed was it here or where was it
2: Well, the polar ring was observed in Australia, of course, the data then streamlined to us. And actually, the analysis has been done by one of our affiliates in in the lab that did part of the analysis here, but part of the analysis in Canada and in the US. (laughs) Okay, wow. So that's a
0: way to get like truly international data set that goes all over the world and is looked at in different ways. That's cool.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we really love to have collaborators using our software wherever they are and provide us the feedback that we need also to improve the software. So we are looking forward to increase our user (laughs) pool. Are
0: there any final things you'd like to tell us or any final messages for listeners?
3: Yeah, I mean, a big part of what we do here in the visualization lab, because every day we, we come in and we have these very, what I could describe as fun pieces of technology that we're working with. It's quite key to to identify, though, what part of these things are, are just fun and what parts are actually scientifically useful, what sort of aspects about these pieces of technology is going to advance the field further. And that's important, because with uh, virtual reality, with planetariums, with many other things that are, are kind of on the forefront of, of how we interact with technology. They're, they're going to be advertised as being game-changing, as being this amazing new revolution, but that's why we have to be a bit objective there and, and, and kind of ask difficult questions sometimes of, okay, is, it, is this expensive piece of, <laughs> is this expensive Cobra, for example? is Is, is that worthwhile for an astronomer to have or is it just kind of more a gimmick and so these things are really important and yeah and it's and it's the same in education as well with any any sort of advertised technology that hits the the mainstream and uh, yeah it's so it's, it's a fun job we have but it's, it's also a lot of work kind of breaking down <laughs> breaking down these things as well
2: yeah and breaking new ground yeah, and it's amazing to have a laboratory where we can test all this technology out. And we would like to continue to do that. And we are really seeing interest from other disciplines as well. It's not just astronomy. I mean, we are visualizing MRI of a human brain, of, uh, of bones, or ice cubes in Antarctica. So we have a group in engineering that would like to use our software to do their own analysis using, you know, the data in vitro reality. So it's a very, you know, much growing field. And we are really fortunate to have this facility here yeah that's actually really cool i didn't realize there was all
0: of these other research that wasn't astronomy using the
2: same technology yeah 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 it's really truly moving it towards uh, an interdisciplinary facilities and we really want to grow in that space
0: and uh, everyone go to the Iziko planetarium if you're in cape town <laughs>
2: absolutely and maybe one day we'll bump into us trying to stream our vr asset into <laughs> the dome stay tuned awesome Thank you to Lichia and Alex for their time today.
1: Um, and I know Alex is very much sleep deprived. So thank you for actually waking up to be with us this afternoon. And thank you so much, Lichia, for allowing us to explore the wide range, everything in here. There's an Explorer, <laughs> You're one, reading three. the wrong acronym. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, no, but I think I was reading the acronym with Explorer in it. Oh. <laughs> so that
2: was the other one.
3: <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming. Our door is always open.
2: Thank you. Yeah, come to visit us again. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: Okay, so you see it as a cobra now.
1: Yeah. No, but I think this was really sparked by a video I saw about a week ago or two where a cobra was moving with its head up. Mm, Like slithering along the ground, but its head was held up. But its head was held up, and... When I sat in the Viz Lab today, I could see that part and I'm like, Oh hey, it actually looks like a cobra. <laughs> but you know, before I, I didn't I didn't see it that way. I thought this was just a cool name.
0: Oh, you just thought it was called a cobra and that was just name? I was the just name. like, Yeah, this is a cool name. How how much time do you reckon you've spent
1: in the Viz Lab? <laughs> too many times. I've <laughs> had I've had meetings in there like too many times. Um I think in even in one of the videos that I did with UCT. We went into the Viz Lab with Tom and all of those things. Oh, cool. But I still didn't see the camera. didn't see the camera. I still didn't. And now I can't see it. <laughs> now it's just it's just there. That's it. Good, good. Wait, what was that about a video? Oh, yeah. um, So I forgot the name of the video, but, you know... When I was graduating, UCT did a, a profile on kind of my journey oh, at, at UCT and cool. all of that. So we went to the Biz lab actually for that too.
0: Oh, nice. I want to see it. Like, oh, so you're just like a casual superstar. All right. <laughs> all right. Okay. So you're going to send me the link I'm going to put on the, on the show notes for this episode and everyone can watch it.
1: Okay. I'll send the link. You Thank can watch you. it. <laughs> cool. All
0: right. Hey listeners, I did get a chance at quickly looking in the VR headset to look at the Polaroid Galaxy. It was very cool. I really thought it looks like
1: Ghostbusters. Like you know the sticker on the Ghostbusters train. Do you see that? The ghost coming out like that. Yeah, yeah, the ghost and then there's the cross
0: around it. Yes. Now I know what you're talking about. And I I could only see that
1: after I had twisted. Uh, yeah, rotate it galaxy, like just rotate ah, a little bit. To just the right just
0: position. To- okay, so there you go. If you rotate a polar ring galaxy in VR, you end up with the Ghostbusters logo. You actually do. <laughs> okay, we're going to put them side by side on the website and we'll we'll let the listeners decide.
1: <laughs> I think you can decide on that, but I, yeah. I think I really saw that. I okay. mean, at first I was like, okay, yeah, I, I could see the ring, I could see all of that. But immediately when I got comfortable with the image, I could literally map it onto something else that
0: I've seen before. And I see it. I see the galaxy (laughs) withering. Well, that's certainly one way to visualize data. (laughs) Um, And then Alex said something. He was talking about cognitive load. And that reminded me of some fancy words you were using the other day, embodied cognition, when we interviewed you for your episode a couple of episodes back. Um, What's the difference between those, cognitive load and embodied cognition?
1: So looking at the word cognition, it's about the brain and the mind. On the one hand, embodied cognition speaks on how all our abstract thought is literally embodied. Like, so every abstract thing that we think about is based on our own embodied experience with the world and how we make sense of it. On the other hand, cognitive load theory speaks to how much of information we can take at the moment to function. Mm. So... Cognitive load theory takes note of the fact that we have a long-term memory and a short-term memory. Mm-hmm. And in most cases in our everyday lives, when we are, you know, we are confronted with things that we need to do, we use our short-term memory because that's what we know we need to do right now. Mm. And if you were to think about too many things that you need to do, what usually happens is you end up doing None, none of them, them. yeah, yep. because you are actually overloaded yep. cognitively in yep. yep. terms of the things that you mm. need to do. Mm. So what you need to do is you need to let the other things on the side. So cognitive theory speaks to that, that sometimes you actually have to suppress the other things mm. so that you can focus on what you're doing Okay, and focus on what you're trying to do. And in terms of data visualization, that is really good. If you think about the information that you're mm. getting, when you look at the graph, you've already mapped how it should be looking like.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: in order for you to focus in terms of making sure that you see what you've plotted there, you need to actually let the other things that could fascinate you down. Ah. So, you have to suppress the other things. Mm-hmm. You have to suppress, ah, oh, it could be amazing if it looked pink.
0: It could be amazing if you look,
1: you know, you you suppress all the other things that could actually influence what you need to see.
0: Oh, so it's like helping you focus on the important details. You need to, yeah. So, and and
1: sometimes, you know, we are mostly overloaded even with the Mm. technology and what it does. Yeah. And it's like
0: always like pinging at us and everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I I think this is why it's important that even with things like data visualization is as astronomers, you need to know at least what is it that you're looking for. Mm. Because sometimes you are confronted with these images, you get in 3D and you're actually now not sure what you're looking at. Mm, yeah. So it's it's a matter of of all of those things on how what is it that you suppress in order to see the other things? Mm. What is it that you take actually from your long-term memory to yeah. help your short-term memory function in this instance? So for example, I'm talking about the the ring galaxy looking like ghostbusters mm-hmm. i'm mirroring it on my long term mirror of how that looked and mm-hmm. i'm taking that to make sure i see that so cool yeah so it's all about how each and every experience we have is not necessarily forgotten our brains our bodies always remember these things so embodied cognition and cognitive load together
0: oh cool well thank you for explaining <laughs> that that's something i would never ever have come across so <laughs> that's cool all right well speaking of like experiences and holding it all together how are you doing
1: um, you know, my voice is as eshy as it ever. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been a great week weather-wise in Cape Town. And so that has kind of affected me mm. a little bit. And because I also take swimming lessons. So
3: mm.
1: every time I come from swimming, I come back, I'm sneezing. Yeah. So so that sneezing plus the weather going a bit bad over the last two days has affected my my voice, but hopefully I'll recover. Yeah, but otherwise? Otherwise I'm fine. I'm fine, I I should probably just stop talking, but I'm fine.
0: (laughs) Good to hear it. (laughs) And how are you doing? I'm okay, yeah, it's been a lot. I can't wait for the holiday season. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, so my students have just set set their exam, so Mm. creating the exam is a lot of hard work. Uh, You have to make sure, you have to be very, very careful, make sure everything's correct. Um, there's always mistakes anyway. and then now I'm in the marking. Marking takes a very long time and it's a very serious job because you know people's lives and careers yeah. are depending on you doing this correctly. so that's also a lot of a lot of work. but you know i'm I'm enjoying it. I did get quite sick for about a week after the lectures ended because I think Ooh. you know you know when you've just been under so much strain and pressure and then suddenly things are like you're, your plate down. is a bit yeah mm-hmm. like things calm down a bit and then your body is just like, And now I'm going to (laughs) crash. So then, uh, yeah, unsurprisingly, I got sick for about a week. But I'm feeling a bit better now. That's Um, good. And, yeah, just just cruising for now. Just, yeah, yeah, getting to the holidays. (laughs) (laughs) I think they are like 30 days away now. Yeah, yeah. My mum's coming to visit for Christmas, so I'm very oh, excited. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, yeah. Now that is great. My mum and my aunt are coming, and we're going on a trip along the garden route, which I'm very Ooh, excited about. Yeah. that That is a beautiful trip to take. Yes. I've never taken it, but I've really? it's yeah. yeah. Yeah, so neither have I, so um, <laughs> it'll be exciting. We're going to Addo Elephant Park mm. um, because my mum is obsessed with elephants, so she'll definitely see some there. <laughs> and yeah, that's, um, that's an irrelevant story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway cool so i think that's it for today right
1: yeah that's it for today and thanks very much for listening and we hope you'll join us again for the next
0: episode of the cosmic savannah you can visit our website thecosmicsavannah.com where we'll have the transcript links pictures and other stuff related to today's episode you can follow us on x
1: facebook and instagram at cosmic savannah that's savannah spelled s-a-v-a-n-n-a-h you can also find us on YouTube, where audio-only episodes are uploaded with closed captions, which can be auto-translated into many different languages, including Afrikaans, Isitosa, and isiZulu. Special thanks today to Dr. Lucia Marchetti and Alex Sivitili for speaking with us. Thanks to our podcast manager, Francois Kempfer, our social media manager, Sumari Hetting, and our audio editor, Jacob Fine. Also thanks to Mark Alnut for music production, Michal Wiecek for photography, Carl Jones for astrophotography, Susie Keres for graphic design, and thanks to Emil Menkis for video creation,
0: Moses Mankungo and Abigail Tambiran for the transcription. We gratefully acknowledge support from the South African National Research Foundation, the South African Agency for Science and Technology Advancement, the South African Astronomical Observatory, and the University of Cape Town Astronomy Department.
1: You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate if you could rate us and review us, and recommend us to a friend. We'll speak to you
0: next time on The Cosmic Savannah.